Oh, I had imposter syndrome like you wouldn't believe. And one lesson I learned is that every person here, there's a reason you're in the room. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. Okay, let's get started. Welcome, everybody. We have Jason Tartik here. He's from, you might have heard him from The Bachelorette. You might have heard from about him from uh, his uh, book, The Restart Roadmap, Instagram, social media. He has it all. Jason, welcome. How are you feeling this evening? I am feeling good. It's good to be here. Listen, it's 7.03 where I'm at, so it's happy hour time. Uh, so it's all good. The work day is starting to end. I got all my tax stuff done. So life is good. It's here to celebrate. <laughs> all right, Jason, right, let's, us, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about what your career has been. Who are you? For sure. So I am Jason Tardik, born and raised in Buffalo, New York did my undergrad in business admin, and I went into banking. I was in one of those management uh, management associate programs and then found my way into corporate banking. I ended up getting my MBA part-time in accounting and finance and was just working full speed. You, you want to know me as the corporate banker? I was the yes man. You tell me where to go, I'll go. You tell me where to relocate, I'm going to relocate. I am going to do anything and everything to find the next step and get ahead. But one of the issues with that is I kept chasing money, I kept chasing power, I kept chasing titles. And when those are the only things that you're chasing, uh, inevitably, hopefully, you'll likely get them, but you start to realize you might lose yourself and some job satisfaction and impact and passion along the way. And that's where I found myself. And so after 10 years uh, of just grinding and grinding, I got offered an awesome job to go from New York to Seattle, didn't know one person in Seattle, and I went. But after a few months, I just like, was kind of lost, like from a personal perspective, and was getting a little depressed and and kind of lonely and just trying to figure it out. And what do you know? ABC The Bachelorette calls. Come uh, on, no play. Swear, I get a voicemail from them, which which I talk about in the book, and we get into it. But I'll, I'll summarize this quickly, and we can get into some other questions. It was one of the first opportunities along my entire journey that no one approved of. My parents didn't approve of. My friends didn't tell me to go. My colleagues didn't tell me to to do it. I ended up doing it. It turned my professional life upside down. And as a result of that, now I uh, own several businesses. I own a talent agency. I own a uh, educational and financial literacy consulting company and just wrote the book, The Restart Roadmap, and have a podcast called Trading Secrets. And we bring all celebrities on from all different industries and talk about where money is made and how. So it's a little bit about me and, and where I am today. Jason, it seems like you got 38 hours in a day. What's the secret? Man? How, how do you- <laughs> <laughs> I think the secret is like r- digging in to exactly an understanding at the core. Like if I ask anyone right now, I see Dr. Betty Ann here. I see Christina here. I see William. I see Vlad. If I put you on the spot right now, if you can't tell me exactly 
what motivates you every day. And not the BS, the, the, I, I to know to the core what gets you going. And you might be embarrassed by it. It might not be the most politically correct thing, but you need to know it. And for me, what I know is I've been in positions where I've worked for people where I felt stuck. I've been in positions where I felt that my performance was dictated by subjective bureaucratic nonsense. And so what gets me going every day up early and working late is I never want to have to work for someone else that I don't want to. And as a result of that, it's allowed me to develop at an accelerated pace because I'm so motivated by that every day, not Monday to Friday, but seven days a week. Man, I mean, so how do you make that jump? I mean, you were a vice president at a bank and you said one day, listen, this I don't, I don't like this anymore. Like, how did you, what was the mentality going into this and how did you make that jump? For sure. So I'm going to drop some numbers here right now. And, I, and some people, when I drop numbers, they get a little shocked by it. And that's because the thesis of my podcast, Trading Secrets, is if we don't, and I talk about this in the book, The Restart Roadmap, if we don't talk about money, where we make it, how we make it, where we lost it, we're not doing the masses justice. All of us sitting in here, we're not doing ourselves justice if we don't know what our colleagues and bosses and people make because it gives us information so we can appropriately navigate our lives. But I was offered a job from New York to Seattle. I was 29. It was a 110,000 signing bonus. It was 165 base. But the upside on bonus potential uh, could be three, four X of base based on performance. And so I had my MBA paid off. I had my undergrad paid off at 29. And I knew that if I did two years in Seattle, even if I was miserable, I had the financial budgeting in place that I would have the safety net, the rainy day fund, and the liquidity to take a big shot. And I think going back to your question, Jerry, if you don't have financial independence, if you're not always working on budgeting for what you're spending, negotiating for what you're making and spending, you'll never be able to take the big shot. So yes, the bachelorette came my way. That was a launch pad that took me in a whole different direction I never anticipated. However, had that not come, I had the financial stability and independence that after two years of work in Seattle, I could go take a big swing. And at that time, what I wanted to do was I wanted to go be in some form of agency because I grew up with Rob Gronkowski, tight end of the Patriots, and then now Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I got to see the... I could never be a Rob Gronkowski, but I could see the agents around him doing the coolest things. And so my my whole dream was like, after two years, that's what I'm going to go do. But would never been able to do it if I didn't have proper debt management, budgeting, and negotiating on the top and bottom of the P&L. My God. Yeah, I mean, how did you even get educated in that space? Because for me, I feel like, I mean, school didn't teach me about personal finance. My parents sort of did. I mean, where did you get this institutional knowledge for you to be able to make these calculated jumps? Yeah, so I think working in the in the finance and accounting space like was was very helpful. Constantly being surrounded by bankers was very helpful. But one of the big things is my grandfather. He was a he was a um, oral surgeon, and I'll never forget. At sixteen years old, he brought me aside. And he told me a story about working with a financial advisor. He said, I kept giving my money to the financial advisor. He kept telling me when to buy, but he would never tell me when to sell. And what I quickly learned is that every time I bought, he was paid out. But if I sold, it reduced his ability to make commission. And so he learned that he was being influenced strictly by someone who wasn't a good financial advisor that was only acting in his best interest. And so he ended up taking all of his money away from the financial advisor at a huge fee hit to his actual portfolio. But he 
said, I don't care. I'm going to teach myself how to do this. And I'll never forget. He sat down. He showed me his whole portfolio. And he's like, in your life, if you don't learn to take control of what will be one of the most important assets you ever come across, which is US dollars, then you will always be behind. And I'll just never forget that lesson coming from a doctor, right? He has no finance experience. And so that was one that I've taken uh, with me uh, across the way. Man. Yeah. I mean, listen, if your grandfather's looking for additional grandsons, I mean, I'm here. <laughs> Let me apply. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So let's let's transition a little bit. So let's talk about your transition from banking. Tell us about what happened after that. You mentioned that ABC call. Like, how did that happen? The podcast. What happened be post-banking life? So yeah, so I go, ABC asked me to go on the show. So what happens is like some people might have like a wild interest in this, but the memo that I sent to my boss to get this request is in the book, The Restart Roadmap, the full memo. And it got sent from my boss to my boss, my boss. It was like a, it was like a memo on fire. No one wanted to touch it or prove it. The memo to go on a damn reality show gets to the president of the bank. He ends up signing off and allows me to go. So I go on and I somehow make it to the, to the end and I'm gone for three months. So then I go back to work and I worked for about a year. I call it the double dip year because I was working full time in, in corporate banking. And on the weekends, I was doing speaking events or uh, endorsement deals or Instagram stuff. I was double dipping in the space. And then for anyone out there that has social media, the world's collided between my personal life and my professional life. And as you can imagine, right, there's a lot that's shared on personal social media and also what happens in the professional world. And as days tick, those worlds are also colliding. And so the full story is in the restart roadmap of what I, why and when I was put in an ultimatum That's the bank said to me, either restart your career at the bank. And if you restart your career at the bank, there is no more podcast or side hustle. All that goes away without our approval. Or go restart your, your entire brand outside the bank. So I took the pun. I restarted my brand outside the bank and I created a company called Restart to really help others do the same and focus on financial literacy. And then from that, what's interesting is you create something, so many other things will come. We create a consulting division on small business and cash trading secrets where we've had guests like Gary Vaynerchuk, Kevin O'Leary, A-Rod, Rob Deerdeck. That's crazy. Right? We got a, this is the first book. We have another book coming. We have a networking group and other things associated with it. But it all came from just one idea and other businesses and, and products that are stemming off of that one idea and one thesis. Wow. And so touching upon your bachelorette experience a little bit here, because I'm just, I, I actually started watching The Bachelorette during COVID. And so I've, I watch every season now. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. Tell me one thing that you didn't expect going into it that you didn't know before. So I'm going to tell you some things that also I think could apply to people in the room too. But one thing, I had three months, guys, of no phone, no TV, no internet, no music, no family, no friends, no outside influence. And the ability that I had to kind of self-reflect on everything in my life and what I want out of it was a situation that I will never get back. Because as everyone in this phone and in, in this room knows, your text messages are going off. You have people emailing you. You have things to get done. There's so much noise in the world. But having that ability to connect with myself was just unbelievable. And I understand how unrealistic that is. But I would test anybody here. Try for an hour. Try for six hours. Maybe twelve hours. No phone. No TV. Mm-hmm. No internet. No music. No family. No friends. Just yourself. And you'll be amazed at the takeaways you have 
in just connecting with yourself. That was one. The second one is I want everyone to imagine this. You get out of the limo, your nerves are kind of rocking and rolling. You got to make a first impression. In the book, I talk about the importance of first impressions uh, through a lot of thesis and studies, but it's so important you nail the first impression. But I got to do it out of a damn limo. Do it out of the limo. <laughs> feeling good about myself. And then I walk into the bachelor mansion. And when I walk into the bachelor mansion, I'm thinking, I'm, I got it all going. This is great. I'm the man. Here we go. And all of a sudden, I walk in, and all I'm doing is looking up. Because every dude in that room was like 6'3", 6'4". And they're all good looking. And they're all dressed in the nines. And then I start talking to them. And one guy is an NBA player. One guy is a, no, he was a Harlem Globetrotter. The other guy was a former MLS player. The other guy played a Major League Baseball. The other guy told me he's a model and was on four covers of magazines. Then I talked to one guy and I always joke around. Uh, I was like, the guy playing the NFL looks like Ken the Barbie dolls, good looking as they come. And then he tells me he's a virgin. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> talk about imposter syndrome. So then I finally find a guy in the corner that's very humble, very down to earth, very, seems very nice. And he's only asking about me. I'm like, this is my guy. Well, after about two minutes of him only asking about me, I said to him, I said, John, how about you? Like, what do you do? He started Venmo. I'm like, you gotta be started Venmo. <laughs> he was the third employee of Venmo. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh I had God. imposter syndrome like you wouldn't believe. And one lesson I talk about in the book and that I learned in the Bachelor Mansion is that every person here, there's a reason you're in the room. There's a reason why you're at the company. There's a reason why you're in that office or you're in that job. And you got to quickly identify what it is that differentiates you amongst everyone else. And you'll never be able to do that unless you've done self-examination down to the bedrock of who you are. And that's something I learned from literally being in a Bachelor Mansion. That's crazy. Yeah, meeting one of the founding employees of Venmo, that must have been insane. Um, now, to reset the room, everybody, welcome for those people who are just tuning in. We have Jason Tartik here, who's talking about his career as a corporate banker, talking about his new book, The Restart Roadmap, his time on The Bachelorette, and everything else in between. I do want to open this time up for maybe one or two questions from the audience. Feel free to use the raised hand function if you want to ask Jason or myself a question. If not, we'll continue on with the questions. And so, uh, Jason, tell us a little bit about after The Bachelorette, what inspired you to write this book? You mentioned that it was sort of inspired by your experience with the corporate bankers and your present telling you to restart your career. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think like if anyone's here ever wondered themselves, like, what am I doing for work and why? How did I get here? Maybe what's next for me? Am I creating a legacy or impact that's greater than my hours clocked, right? If so, if these are questions you're asking yourself, I thought that it might be time to rewire, reset, and restart your, your career roadmap, similar to the way I did it. And one of the things I think about in my 10 years is I had the opportunity to sit in offices of what Forbes called, you know, banking's most powerful people. And I also got to see some of the most impressive individuals behind the scene and then live on television, like Michael Strahan. Or like any of these individuals I got to see on live TV, um, uh, Steve Harvey. I got to see some of these really impressive people on the red carpet, like Pink, and the list goes on. Position, market, brand, sell themselves, negotiate, 
And they did it quickly in short periods of time. And so from all these lessons I got to see behind the curtains, I learned a lot about how anybody at the masses can reset and restart themselves to make sure they're achieving their greatness. And in a world where there's so much career confusion, Jerry, I mean, you know all about this, and there's over 47 million people that in 2021 voluntarily left their, their jobs, people are searching to write their story and not have their story written for them. And when the world turned upside down and restarted in 2020, I thought, so are people. And what a perfect time to create a book called The Restart Roadmap to try and help anybody that's feeling some of that. Yeah, you know, that's that's super spot on. As I, as I think back to the past two years, I mean, we've spoken to over a thousand job seekers, of which I want to say 80, 90% of people began to really reflect and ask themselves, hey, listen, is this the job I want? And am I excited about this? Especially because that line between work-life balance and sort of that, that the line is sort of being a little bit great out there. So, I mean, Jason, what are, if, if someone were to come to you and say, hey, listen, I don't really know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I like, what would you tell them? Uh, the first thing I would say is that there is no cookie cutter solution. Uh, the thing is, is that you have to, we have to do some soul searching to understand what it is that you don't like. What I've found through my research and focus groups and countless conversations with people, are there are five reasons people get stuck. They get stuck because there's a lack of mobility. They wanted to be somewhere they're not. They're not getting the acceleration. So it's, it could be mobility. It could be that there's a lack of compensation. They feel like they're not valued enough or they're not rewarded enough or they're not compensated enough. It could be that number three would be skill set. Their natural learned abilities or differentiating skill sets do not align at all with their job functions. It could be passion for the company, the product, or the mission of what the group or people or boss is doing and they need more impact. Or the fifth one is fear. They're not making changes because of the fear of what could be next and complacency of that bi-weekly paycheck has them stuck. Based on one of those five, or maybe all those five, I would ask them to stack rank from a priority basis, which I do in the book, of which are most pertinent to them. And then within the book, we talk about solutions for each one of those five based on where they're stuck. But I always say you can't restart until you rewire. This is the part of rewiring to how you got there to understand exactly where the miss is. And then you got to put a solution in place based on the miss. I think that makes a lot of sense, Jason. And how have you how and how have you been using those principles to help advance your career, or as you've been thinking back on the successes of your career, what of those factors have you felt like has been the most important to you? For sure. I mean, I look back at like the 10 years and, and I talk about this too, like how I got, I just got an email today from a, from a, a gentleman who read the book and he today just got a $10,000 raise at work. When I was trying to climb that corporate ladder, negotiating was big. And the only thing I cared about was compensation. And I think compensation is the easiest of those five to fix. And so in the book, I talk about different tactics I use to get raises. One of the big things is a knowing what people make in your marketplace. In the book, I put a step-by-step -step process of how I got a 20% raise in a six-minute conversation. So for me in the corporate banking world, it was all about the compensation. I think about today is that right now, when I think about passion and skill set, I think about what differentiates me and what gets me excited about impact. Those things are too aligned with 
everything that I'm doing. And so as a result of that, it brings a different energy. I'm preparing a different way. I'm networking in a different way. I'm thinking more creatively in a different way, right? If I can get guests like Rob Deerdeck and Kevin O'Leary and all these big hitters, what could I do? Mark Laurie, you know, who owns is a billionaire, who owns the Minnesota Timberwolves. How can I actually broaden my relationship with them and then also create more business opportunities? So I think when those two things are aligned, passion and skill set, it's just an unstoppable force that anyone who, if you think about anyone in this group, think about someone you look up to, politician, a leader, an athlete, actor, musician, all those people you look up to have achieved outlying success because they are so talented and their skill sets align with what they do. We will never find our pinnacle, whatever that pinnacle may be, if we don't too align what differentiates us. And every person has that something. Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And as I'm sort of thinking back to my career and even the way that you've structured those five different reasons, how I and, how, and I'm thinking about how I can apply it to me. Yeah. Here, I mean, how how would your advice or thought process change to someone who's maybe starting a new career or maybe has started their career for the first time? Yeah, I think I think that's such a good good question. And so, like, suppose you're coming like right out of school. Here's the one bit of advice I would give. And I just spoke at NYU, and this was the big advice I gave them. When I came out of school, if I looked at myself and said, "This is what you did wrong," it's that every single thing I wanted after school for my first job was based on what other people defined as highly demanded things to want. For example. Can you land a job with one of the big banks? Are you in the group that is the sexiest within those banks? Are you being, are you reporting to the places that accelerate at the highest development? So instead of deciding, I'm talented in this area, I have an interest in X, Y, and Z, it was okay, it's got to be banking or consulting. Okay, and if it's right. got to be banking or consulting, it's got to be one of the top firms. And if it's not one of the top firms, it's got to want to be one of the top regionals. And so my whole entire path was derived from the expectations that other people set for what success looks like after school. Instead of backing into it myself, I know, Jerry, you guys talk so much about preparation and resumes and applications. And if someone says to me, I have a job interview tomorrow, how should I prepare? The answer is you are way too damn late. You already have a job interview for a company tomorrow and you're trying to prepare. You should be targeting the companies you're looking for based on how well you know them. Who's their board of directors? What impact do they make in the community? What do they do on a greater scale? Are you proud of the product they have and how it's placed and differentiated? Um, And so I think I was so influenced on being in positions and jobs and titles that other people deemed as successful as opposed to doing the due diligence myself. Yeah, you know, your your point around the whole interviewing thing is so spot on because one of the things that we always talk about is making sure that when you're interviewing, that you guys have a baseline level of understanding of what the company does. For example, we're hiring two people today. And uh, one of the interview questions I ask is, hey, beyond what you see on social media about consulting, what else do we do? And about 90% of people are just saying, hey, you know, that's a great question. I haven't had the time to do that. And so absolutely spot on. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great, great question to ask. And I think the interview process is interesting, right? Because you got to remember, this is a lot I talk about, is like hacking the, the hiring process and, and the art of getting noticed. You have one job in an interview, and it's to reduce the liability of the decision maker 
every single second you're in the room. Because when someone is making a hiring decision, there's so much damn liability that is being taken on. And usually the person that's going to be picked is the person that has effectively reduced the liability of that decision maker with the way they've positioned themselves. That's exactly right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And so we're about halfway mark here. So I want to reset the room and welcome everyone who have just tuned in. We're here live with Jason Tartik, former former contestant on The Bachelorette, has his new book, The Restart Roadmap, former corporate banker, big social media presence. And so for those people who want to ask questions to Jason, feel free to click raise your hand. Or if you don't feel as comfortable coming on live, feel free to click on my photo, personally DM me a question, and I will go ahead and ask Jason here. And it could be anything, guys. You want to talk Bachelor. It could be even how to you know, get a book up and around. I'm happy to share anything about the book. It could be anything about the influencing world, talent agency, whatever you guys have questions about. I'm literally the definition of an open book. So put it out there. Awesome. So maybe let's talk a little bit about your book. Tell us a little bit about who, what, who, are, the, who are the types of people who should be who you're targeting for the book and how is that going to benefit them? Yeah. So if the idea here is if you're experiencing any bit of career confusion, like the smallest of it, like even if it's managing uh, your success in the workplace, it's, it's anxieties in meetings, like the smallest thing, it's negotiating for yourself on it or preparing for negotiations, you know, getting ready for a big sales pitch, or you are someone that's feeling career confusion to the point where you're like, you're really thinking about where you live and why in the industry that you work in and how you could take transferable skills that you've already developed and move into another space. So if it's extremely material or extremely minute, but it lines with career confusion and next steps, the book is absolutely for you. And so even if you don't find that each chapter, like the whole book is for you through this eight-step roadmap, uh, I can tell you that there's something you'll take away. And at the end of every single chapter, there's a summary with execution points of exactly what you could do. Um, And what I'll tell you too, is that I was really thoughtful about who endorsed this book. So if you think about people that you might look up to, a lot of people in their career have had restarts and have had to restart and rebrand. And so I was very fortunate enough to get endorsements from the following people that had some praise for the restart roadmap because it aligns with their journey. And on the back of the book, you got Carly Pierce. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, country singer, songwriter, CMA, fem- a female vocalist of the year. You have Chriselle Staus. She's an actress, but also a real estate agent and the star of Netflix Selling Sunset. Rob Gronkowski, tight end of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl champion, future Hall of Famer. We got Damon John, who has an unbelievable restart story, star of ABC Shark Tank, CEO and founder of FUBU. Ryan Sirhit, Bravo's million dollar listing. Uh, he, they, you know, he's the founder of Sirhit and one of the best real estate agents in the uh, entire planet. Then you have Erica Nardini, CEO of Barstool Sports. And the cool thing about Erica is Erica was the CMO of Apple. She was big into the corporate structure until she went to um, AOL. So those are some of the people and familiar faces you may know that have read it. And any bit of career confusion, A to Z, there's something in here for you. All right, Jason, we get it. We, we know you guys, you know a lot of people now, right? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. A little name dropping, you know? <laughs> awesome. So we have a question from the audience here who asked, you know, what was Jason's approach to writing the book? Did it start with, I have all this knowledge and I need to share it? Or is it more, I should write a book to build credibility? I love the question. So 
And, and you're always going to get open and honest answers from me. A book wasn't on my damn radar. But I have this account on Instagram called Restart underscore Reset. And what we do is we try and bring information that people must know about the market and they need to know about career advancement that we're not taught in the classroom. And so we were making about a million impressions on a weekly basis on this account. And sometimes when you have an idea or a thought, it might only take one impression that could change your life, or it takes a volume of a million to get the one per person that has the idea. But an agent at Levine Greenberg Roasten, uh, who is a literary agent out of New York, who's done some big books. They've done Gone Girl, Tom Brady's book, Giselle's book. They reached out to me and said, hey, I see what you're doing here. How can we turn this into a book? Would you want to do that? Of course, when approached with it, I was like, this is great. And then what happens is you you create a, a pitch a pitch, right? It's a it's a proposal. So I'd write the proposal. I'm sitting in a room trying to put together all my stories. There's a 50-page proposal. And then the proposal goes out to, we went out to all the big five publishers. And we put a deadline in place. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, are you sure we want to put a deadline? Like, what if everyone passes? She's like, you got to put a deadline. Well, deadline comes. Big five, one drops. Big five, two drops. Big five, three drops. Big five, four drops. At literally about 20 minutes before the deadline, HarperCollins came in with a book offer. And so from that point on, the book writing process begins. But I want anyone here to know that self-publishing a book is still an extremely real thing that I know so many people have done and a lot of people have had success with it. And so um, whether you can get your book done by an agent and in the hands of a big five publisher, or you want to do it yourself, you there are so many options to get a book off the ground. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like writing a book is almost like a full-time job in itself. It's, it's, a, it's a process. You want to <laughs> definitely be prepared. It took about a year and a half, uh, and it was a whole whole lot of work. But when you start to see people seeing impact from, from what you do, you know, chase it. I, I give you another quick example on the podcast. If you guys have ever heard of the points guy, I think his story is so cool because here I am. Yes, I got a platform from a reality show and that was helpful. But I know a ton of people that just got out there, were passionate about something, and they did it. The points guy in 2010 was an HR director, or no, he was an HR employee at J.P. Morgan Chase. He was making about 75 k a year. But since 13, he was obsessed with credit card points. He planned his like entire family's vacation at the age of 13 with his family's credit card points. So in 2010, he started blogging about it. I'm going to just create a blog about the thing I love. I'm still working full-time as a J.P. Morgan HR employee. And then they started making some money off it through affiliate marketing. Affiliate marketing is when people click on what you're typing and then they pursue whatever they click, which becomes, um, um, you know, whatever it may be. So he promotes a credit card, you click it, you, you go through the approval process, you get paid. Guys, in two years, two years of just blogging with no platform, no TV show, no ins with big celebrities or anything, two years. He exited the company at an eight-figure amount. And so I think that whatever you're writing, whatever opinion you have, whatever could differentiate you, now more than ever, it's, it's, it's applicable and it's easy to get that message out to the masses and just go for it. Take the shot. Man, yeah. You know, that's actually extremely relevant to the next question from the audience here who asked, you know, uh, she wants to learn how to promote her own music, how to start a website, and how to start a career, especially when you've been doing it herself. And she feels like she has a little bit of anxiety, doesn't really know how to ask for help. In that case, what would you recommend? 
So the biggest thing that you can do in, in those scenarios, first of all, everyone should have a website. But, you know, this is my take, Jerry. It's WordPress.com. You can do it simply. Yeah. Uh, having an online resume is amazing because you can write your story, you can tell your story, and it's not expensive to build a website. You can do it and get freelancers to do it at an inexpensive price. So have your website, have your music everywhere. If you follow someone on on uh, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you better damn follow them. On LinkedIn, it's the largest professional network out there and the best for deploying people. Over 40 million people, I think it's a, a week, are on um, LinkedIn looking for jobs. So there's a good place to start. But what I would say in this circumstance is you need to take this music that you want to get out there and find a way that you can help fulfill the goals of someone else with your work. A quick example is there is an account called Bachelor Data. Bachelor Data, all she does is the analytics through all the Bachelor shows. Who got a rose? How many times was the word like said? How many times did they say here for the right reasons? She wanted to grow her account. So what she did was she found 15 people in her circle and she created content with her information for those people that those people would definitely want to post because it made them look good. And as a result of that, people were promoting her work, but they were promoting it because her work was fulfilling the role of the page, if that makes sense. Yeah. So one example of how we got to A-Rod is we had Mark Laurie on. A-Rod runs the, owns the Timberwolves with Mark Laurie. We knew that Mark Laurie was trying to get more content. So when he came on the podcast, I invested more in our camera work that day, our editors that day, so that Mark Laurie would have an unbelievable set of content, not with my face in it, not with my words in it, but when he said something critical. We gave him the folder, he kept posting it and posting it and posting it. And as a result of that, it was A-Rod's team who saw that and said, hey, what's that from? It's from Trading Secrets Podcast. A-Rod's team reached out to us. So there's an example of trying to find a way to take your content to give someone else value and you'll be amazed at the discovery process. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And one of the channels that I sort of have started creating content on as well and gotten significant traction in the past year is also TikTok, right? It costs, everyone has a phone, very easy for you to start. And just sharing your music on TikTok could potentially allow for it to grow when you share it with maybe someone who dances and can create trends. Absolutely, 100%. I think collaborations are huge, right? Like like right now, everyone's listening. This is the first time I've met Jerry. Jerry owns one salting. They are unbelievable <laughs> on TikTok. It's a great follow. I followed them before I met Jerry. But like, hopefully after this, I'll reach out to Jerry and be like, hey, how can we do a collaboration, right? So whether you have one follower or you have 10 million followers, the idea of like collaborating and finding a way to provide value to other people in the circles you're trying to get discovered in is, a, is huge. It's huge. Absolutely. And so we actually have another question from the audience who asked, what keeps you up at night? Oh my God, what doesn't keep me up at night? <laughs> so <laughs> the thing is, I don't sleep well. That's one of my issues. So if anyone has sleeping uh, recommendations out there, I'm here for it. I've tried about anything and everything. But I think what, what keeps me up at night is like the organizational and administrative things. I think that I get so excited about moving the chains forward with all my businesses that some of the organizational things fall through. We have an operations manager. I think we do need uh, more help. 
But I think scaling is a big thing that you need to focus on. Infrastructure, uh, making sure CRMs for some of the other businesses are in place. But I think growth, administration, and um, some of the more tactful stuff are the things. What's weird, I don't know where people get creative. I get creative in the weirdest places. I get creative when I take a shower and I get creative when I'm trying to sleep. So those are my issues with sleep. (laughs) And I mean, even bouncing on what you said before, right? I mean, everybody, Jason just listed out a couple things about things that keep him up at night. If you had a proposal, if you had an idea of how you can make it easier, I mean, you know? You got a proposal out there to make my life easier. I am listening every single second. And we are always looking for people uh, to hire on the talent agency side or restart. So I am here for that. Yes, Jerry. (laughs) And to also help you sleep. (laughs) And to help me sleep. (laughs) Yeah. If anyone owns a CBD company or melatonin, (laughs) talk to me. (laughs) That's exactly right. Oh, my goodness. All right. So we have another question here from social media who asked, what would you do if you were the least paid person in your role, but you were promised a promotion that maybe you don't know if it's coming? See, I the big thing I've learned in corporate America, there are a lot of, first of all, I love corporate America. Uh, I, I think it makes the world go round. It's great. But there's a lot of toxic places to work and there are a lot of unbelievable, unbelievable places to work. And so there, you have to be aware of that carrot, the dangling carrot. If you are in one of those positions where the carrot's always there, we promise it's coming. And then when it's time for come, you start to hear things like, oh, our bonus our bonus pool isn't completely full or the, the, this group didn't do as well as we expected or I'm sorry, I can't give that raise. It's time to start making sure that the value you're receiving is aligned with the value that you're executing and that the loyalty that you're giving your company is reciprocated to the loyalty they are giving. We got to remember, we are all free agents. We don't have those 10-year deals like Tom Brady and LeBron James, right? And so one of the best things I would do is make sure that you understand exactly objectively what needs to be completed as to when you're going to get that raise, uh, when that raise is coming. And I would also make sure that you are in a position to understand what your value is. So understand what you've done, what your experience level is, and what people in similar areas of that demographic, of that location, are being paid. And how do you do that? Conversation, glass door, talking to recruiters within that industry, working through associations. That list goes on. There's more about that in the book too. But um, don't allow empty promises continue to move you 100 miles an hour in a direction you don't want to be. Right. And for those people who are feeling that way of, man, you know, I, I feel like I had this, I had this realization now that I have this dangling carrot in front of my face and they've been dragging, dragging it along for two years. What would you tell those people right now? It's time to take action immediately because right now, guys, I mean, I'm sure everyone in this room has seen it. You got inflation at 8.5%. The cost of things are exorbitantly increasing by the second. Interest rate hikes are coming. So the value of what we're being paid is being decreased by the second when we're not doing something about it. So if you've been waiting for two years, last year at this time, it was okay to wait. Right now at this time, it's not a want, it's a need. You gotta do something about it. One of the quickest things to do is to get an offer from a competitor. Yeah, absolutely agree. Getting another data point in the market, especially when you have an offer in hand, especially in today's market, absolutely going to help you stand out and make sure you get a competitive compensation. 
we have another question here from someone who asked, ooh, it's going to put you a little bit on the spot, but what have you recently failed at lately? You know, this person wants to hear a little bit more about how, what you failed at and how you've, how you've grown from it. Oh my God, where, I, where do we start? So I, <laughs> I think I fail on like a day-to-day basis constantly. Um, I could think with this book tour areas that we failed, planning we didn't think of, uh, preparation that wasn't done, um, logistical nightmares, right? Like just why the hell did we book a flight from New York City to Boston when there's so many issues with the airports only to see that our flight got delayed five times for us sprinting to a rental car to show up at the venue 22 minutes before the event to be wearing sweatpants at the event. I mean, I am failing every single day in small capacities, in large capacities. The biggest thing is, and and I have a tie-in here uh, to some takeaways from the podcast, is every failing opportunity, it gives you, it's like a poker player, you get more information. That information, you could do one of two things with. You could fall down further, or you could use it to adjust so that you can redeploy how you do things at a next level. And so many people from my podcast that I've had on uh, have pretty much alluded to the fact that over time, what they do is they fail over and over and over and over. But because they're willing to take shots and they're not afraid of failure, they get their answers quicker and quicker. And the lessons they learn in one lifetime or one decade is the lessons that someone might learn in 15 lifetimes because they're not willing to take shots. First person I think of is Barbara Corcoran. She's a dear friend of mine. 22 jobs. At the age of 23, she was fired from 22 jobs. Who the hell in their lifetime is fired by 22 jobs? Think about the information she gathered in those 22 jobs, though. She has gathered so much about what she likes, what she does, like, where she excels, where she fails. Her 23 job was her 23rd job was in the real estate world. So if you're not willing to fail, you're not going to get information that's going to help you redeploy how you navigate life moving forward. Yeah. And Jason, sort of what you talk about reminds me of this book I read about mindsets, the difference between fixed and growth mindsets. And for those people who haven't heard these terms before, growth mindsets all about exactly as Jason mentioned, how can I take these learnings, grow from it, use it to advance myself. Fixed is always around, hey, listen, I I had this failure. It probably means I'm not ready for this. For people who maybe aren't as growth-minded or people who have a troubled time bouncing back from failure, what would be your biggest piece of advice for those people? That's such a good question. I think the one thing is really identify what is it that is a barrier for you to go for something. Now, the only thing I could speak to is my 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 experience. And one of the big issues I had in taking shots at anything, I was so damn worried about what everybody else thought. I was so focused on generating my value based on the value someone else perceived me as. And what I quickly learned is that there are so many people out there that are afraid to take those shots that are feeling pain within themselves. They feel pain where they're at with for the personal life, their professional life, their financial life. And the only way for them to deflect that pain because they're not willing to take step up to the plate and take a shot is to put it on others, is to judge others, is to troll other people, to, to, to comment on what they're doing. They'll put other people down to make themselves feel better. And what I quickly learned is, who gives a shit what anyone thinks? And right. actually, you'll be so surprised at when you do fall on your face and you speak about it, 
how much connection that's going to create through vulnerability. Of all things, 10 years of corporate banking, doing all the things right, dressing the right way, talking the right way, acting the right way, shaking hands the right way, exceeding expectations. The number one thing that created connection with me and all my employees is when they saw me get dumped on national television. Like they saw me for the first time, you know, have a tear coming down my face. They saw some sort of vulnerability. They saw me fall on my face. It wasn't the perfect Jason. And ironically enough, it was that moment that I was the most embarrassed about, the most cringed I was. I was like, I can't walk into work. And of all things, that's what created the most connection, the deeper relationships where people are now opening up to me about their lives. And so it's amazing when you do fail, the connection it creates and the opportunities that can come from it. My goodness. Yeah. But, you know, that, that leads into this next question here of it seems like you're you're running multiple businesses. You are going on this tour with your book. You're trying to find someone to help you with their CRM. How do you fit so much into your day and week? I mean, like, do you not sleep? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't. So if anyone has solutions, yeah. that's, I'm in for it. I think the the biggest thing is like outsourcing stuff. And I used to do this when I was a banker, too, is. If it was if it was admitted if it wasn't moving the chains forward, so we actually called one of our companies MTC, move the chains forward. If the action I was doing today wasn't actually moving something forward significantly, that was results oriented, that would make me proud of the finish line, I would find ways to outsource or delegate those tasks. And I think what happens is we get bogged down in so many checkbox tasks that right. if we're not really focused and aligned with what is moving the needle in a world that's so easy to get um, you know, uh, clouded by that, it's important that you're delegating those or finding ways to, to really just focus on what's moving the chains forward. Like when you, go bed, when you go to bed at night and you look back at your day, what are actually material things you did that were impactful or that put you and your business in a better position today? And so I realized a lot of times there wasn't much and as a result of that, I was able to delegate those tasks that were bogging me down. And, you know, this leads me to the next question of someone who messaged me of saying, you know, if you, knowing what you know now, right, if you weren't an entrepreneur, what other occupations would you consider today? Yeah, so that that is, um, that's the one I think I would go back to with my, uh, with my what I wanted to do right out of, out of uh, banking was I wanted to go be a, an, a, an agent for athletes because I think like what's the takeaway from that is the takeaway from that was I knew that I was passionate about the NFL and professional sports and I knew that I looked up to a lot of them and I knew I thought it was kind of cool and whatever your hobby is out there whatever you're doing on the weekends whatever you gravitate towards when you close that laptop put your phone down behind those things there are so many jobs and occupations. Think about the the clothing stores you shop at or the music you listen to or the teams that you root for or the beer that you drink. There are so many really incredible jobs behind those areas. And imagine even if you're in like finance, you know, like if you if you love finance, there's so many other places that you could work other than a bank that you may be like this is the most badass place ever to work. So I think that's a really important thing. Uh, and one to consider when thinking about other opportunities. Yeah, I love that. And it feels I feel like that ties into so sort of the principles that you're talking about of finding things that you're passionate about, finding things that give you energy and dedicating your energy there rather than just chasing superficial metrics or vanity metrics, things like compensation and, and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, because I think it's just like eventually you're going to burn out from that. Like, so then once you, you know, one of the things I'll say is like, imagine we triple your salary right now, right? Of course, that's going to give you some luxuries and maybe some freedom, maybe a little bit more flexibility within your life. But like, is that going to do something greater for you that's going to make a, a world of world of difference of how you feel about your job? Like we live on average, this is a morbid, this is kind of like a morbid dialogue here, but we live on average in the United States till about 78. That was the last statistics that came out. 18 of those years were, were adulting, right? So now we're down to 60. And so you got 60 years and, and most people retire around 62, 63. So you take 15 years off that or so. You got 45 years on average, in a professional life, to do anything, to do something that could create an impact, a legacy, something that your kids might remember and talk about, or your grandkids. My my grandma or grandpa did this. There's so much you can do in that 45 years, and we let so many of those years go to waste, and it's time to like take control of that, is where I think you know we are what we need to be doing. I love that, Jason, because now that we're approaching our last nine minutes, I do want to challenge some of the people from the audience, even if it does make you feel a little uncomfortable to, and if you had the desire to ask Jason a question, come on board, raise your hand, we'll bring you on stage. And so, Jason, for those people who are thinking to themselves, I kind of want to come on stage, but I'm 200 people in here, like, I don't know, what what would you say about Come on stage, come at <laughs> literally, there's no question you could ask that I would be, uh, that I would judge you on or feel offended by. This is an open book, ask away. And even honestly, if, here's what I always say too. Like if someone out here has a business they want to promote or they're looking for a job or they have something they just want to like put on a stage, I don't know. I can't see how many people are in here, but I thought I heard 200. You got 200 ears that are listening right now. So this is the time to like step up and like you can even put your business out there. You can ask a question, anything, anything. This is the time to do it. I love it. And so I'm going to use a strategy I learned from a TED Talk. Oh, okay. We have someone here. Alexa's here. Alexa. Alexa, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for the invitation to ask a question. Of course. What is your question? Okay, well, I'm a freelance journalist and I'm just starting out. Um, I would ideally like to have a full-time job in journalism, but in order to do that, I need to build up clips. And I was just, what what has been happening for me is I'm just sending pitches to some editor who I don't know's inbox and you know, hoping for the best. And that just seems like I could maybe optimize that strategy better. And so I was wondering if you had any suggestions for someone who's starting out in an industry where there's a lot of competition and um, you, you're trying to distinguish you know, what you want to say and get chosen. Alexa, I love the question. I love what you're trying to do and the fact you're freelancing and, you're, and all, it ta- all it's going to take is one shot. It's going to take one relationship. And I think, Jerry, you can even comment on this too. This is, reminds me of like the hiring process and the fact that people will just throw resumes blindly into a portal, hoping and praying that something will stick. And I think with some of those emails, it's going to be the same way. And I think there has to be some tie into a relationship component um, for some editor that's going to take you to the next level. And so there is in the book, I have this strategy that we have used to get more deals through our agency and how you can get um, 
people that allow it, almost any email, and it's ethical and it is legal through LinkedIn. And so there is a tool that you can add on uh, into LinkedIn to get these emails. And I think what you have to do is be able to find some type of connection with some individual greater than you are just a freelance journalist for someone to take it uh, to the next level. How do you do that? You know, my natural thought is like, where did you go to school? Is there an alumni group on LinkedIn? Is there something that you have a passion for other than journalism that the next editor you know is also aligned with that passion? Can you find more information about these people doing some research or, or through Instagram to see what their hobbies or interests are? And maybe there's something you could you could take someone out to, you know, I'm just making this off the top of my head, but a game that's meaningful or, you know, they're very big into wine and you buy them a bottle of wine, doing something that differentiates that adds value to those individuals. And one thing I'll never forget I was taught is to, to love the people that you're trying to get in touch with love, right? If you show love to someone that you're trying to work with, love for the people they love, it goes the next mile. Give you an example. Say my boss's son is a huge Buffalo Bills fan, and I know one of the players, or I have an extra jersey, you know, making a jersey out to the kid and saying, Hey, this is for your son, or getting them tickets. Again, these are just like high level thoughts, but taking it a step further than an email, I think, is what will help you big time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. And good luck. Keep putting your message out there. Maybe there's someone in here that could use a journalist with, who knows, a blog they're writing or a newsletter that they're putting together, or there's some way that they can can connect with you. Uh, Alexa, is there any forum that you feel comfortable people connecting with you, whether it's email or social media that people can find you if they heard you and are interested in what you're doing or have better tips? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just, um, I'll give out my email. It's alexarbuyer at gmail.com. Perfect. alexarbuyer at gmail.com. Maybe there's someone in here that can also help you achieve it. Put it out there. Unless you put it out there, people won't know. Once you do, you'll be surprised at how many people are willing to help you. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, good luck. Awesome. Can we get a round of applause for Alexa? Oh my God, that was incredible. (laughs) I love it. Go Alexa. All right. Everyone has shared their questions with me through DMs. It looks like they submitted most of them through social media. Jason, to close this off, if there's one piece of advice, one piece of feedback that you could put into every single person's brain in this room today, what's that one piece of advice that you share? The one piece of advice I would share is, and this is how I open the book, I get extremely vulnerable telling stories I've never told anyone. I didn't tell my mom, my dad, I didn't tell my girlfriend at the time, no one. And I was in a position where I was dealing with so much situational anxiety at work that I was taking Xanax and beta blockers to reduce any panic or panic attack from arriving in big meetings or big settings. And that was happening because I was so focused on being something other than myself. And so what I did was instead of address and listen to myself, listen to my inner body, I found ways to camouflage and crutch. So much that I was taking Xanax and beta blockers and putting them in the Altoid cases. But the issue with Altoid cases is they rattle around. So I'd be in a meeting and take one just to hide the panic of things happening. 
And people would ask for a breath mint. And I'm like, you don't want these breath mints. <laughs> but then I got smarter. And I put these Xanax and beta blockers in Listerine case strips because no one could hear it. And I think back at that time, and it's a really sad time. And it's a sad time because I was so afraid to just step into who I was, to show weakness, to not camouflage or use crutch, because I felt as though those weaknesses would lead to a lack of success. And what's fascinating is when you step into those weaknesses, it actually does the opposite. It allows you to know yourself better than anyone. And in those situations that created so much anxiety, automatically just went away because I knew me and I don't have to take Xanax or beta blockers and I'm not dealing with those panic disorders. So everything I was thought I was doing by camouflaging and crutching it for it to go away was actually the exact opposite of just stepping into it. That took me 10 years of my life. I think about how many people in some rate go their whole life without stepping into it. And my biggest piece of advice for anybody is step into yourself. And the minute you know yourself better than anyone else is the minute you're going to flourish in not only professional work, but also your personal work. And also your financial work, because even like the spending I was doing, how much spending I was doing in certain areas because of the insecurities and lack of confidence I had within, all those things tie together. When you know yourself, there's so much efficacy and vulnerability, and I'd recommend anyone to step into it. And if you want to explore anything else, uh, the Restart Roadmap, I really am confident in saying uh, it will definitely give you a takeaway or two. I just got noticed right before uh, this um, this meeting, actually, that we hit number six on uh, Wall Street Journal's business bestsellers. So it's out there. It's being sold. It's making an impact. And I just appreciate you guys all here listening to me. If you ever want to reach out, my my. Uh, Instagram handles or any social media handles are Jason underscore Tardic. And then um, we have uh, an Instagram called Restart underscore Reset. And Jerry, you were an unbelievable moderator. And I thank you for your time. Of course, Jason Tardic, everybody. Thank you so much, Jason, for your time. And for the rest of the audience, thank you so much for your time and attention today. You can find Jason's book on the restartroadmap.com. Again, that's the restartroadmap.com. And there'll also be a link at the end of this live. Everybody, thank you so much for your time and good night. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.